the need for change is so great and the amount of students that are currently struggling in the system and being underserved by it is so so great that I think um, the more the merrier in terms of in terms of alternatives. Welcome to episode 77 of the Startup West podcast. My name is Brody McCulloch. And I'm Steve Elias. It's terrific to be here recording the Startup West podcast, which is all about startups, entrepreneurs and innovators who have been there and done it. We're right here and doing it in sunny WA. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth, Dinner Twist and TechOn. On this episode, we talk with Nicole Gazy and Rebecca Loftus, the co-founders of Idea Academy, a model and cultural change system for innovative education programs. Hi, Nicole and Rebecca. Welcome to Startup West. Uh, fantastic to have you here. Can you tell us a bit about Idea Academy, the story that led you to it uh, and how it's going? Yeah, I guess I'll start by just talking about idea and what it is. So we're an alternative to mainstream education. We see ourselves as a bit of a model for the future of education and for young people in that kind of 15 to 18 year old bracket, so senior secondary, that just don't fit or see value in that mainstream um, model anymore. So we kind of have three key features that idea. Um, one is our co-learning hubs. So we don't, we're not a school. We don't um, offer that traditional school experience. What we do offer is cool community-based and led um, co-learning hubs that are based in co-working spaces and innovation hubs. So our first hub is at Flux um, right here in the city. And we combine that with online credentials and qualifications. And ultimately, our students are spending two years working towards a digital portfolio. That's like their ticket to university um, for the training or employment. Ladies, uh, what was that genesis moment? Uh, How did you set it up in the first place? And what were some of the key initial issues? I think um, that the genesis moment um, was was about a four-year moment, (laughs) if not a a lifetime. Um, This kind of speaks particularly to my story as a parent of a young person that didn't fit the system, Um, always trying to work around, um, um, do workarounds for his education, um, but it really getting to that high school um, f- uh, phase of his life, I just thought, gosh, there's no options in the system. Like where, where do we put this young person who's really creative, great kid, um, wants to learn, but because he's an innovative creative, um, there's actually nowhere for um, an education program that really recognises niche talents. But um, professionally have worked in education for a long time, so um, could see that there were some opportunities there. So the genesis moment probably was... Um, you know, seeing that there where the gaps were, um, but being able to blend professional and personal experience, I guess, and then meeting um, with Rebecca, who has an amazing um, career as well, um, and the two of us combined skills together over a cup of tea. Um, that moment happened where we we're like, let's just do this. Let's give it a mm. go. Tea followed closely by wine. Very, yeah. very closely. Yeah. And never, it's always been wine ever since. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, my background was in education as well. Um, I qualified in Ireland and came to Australia and it was was pretty early in my career that I just felt, wow, this traditional high school setting, it's just, it's so um, harmful in many ways to young people because you're kind of running kids through this rat race of like up to six subjects a day, maybe seeing eight different adults. Like there's no, it's very hard to care for young people in those settings. And for many young people, they can just get on and, and do it. But particularly if you're like a little spunky 
entrepreneur in making or a bit of a creative or just have a, a slight learning difference like dyslexia or something like that, it can you, it can really be a struggle for you. And, and we see that reflected in the growth in the homeschooling um, market. It's the highest growth education market in Australia and I would argue possibly around the world um, or at, at least in places like America and the UK. So, you know, that was really part of it. We're like, you know, we can do something better for these young people. Um, let's work together on it. Mm. How did you guys fund idea to date? Was it through um, your own funds, friends and family, investors? It's been a big mishmash, hasn't it? Um, so yeah. <laughs> obviously at the beginning, um, uh, funding ourselves, working jo- um, uh, second jobs and things like that. Um, but we were really lucky to be part of the Plus 8 um, 2021 crew. Um, and that definitely catapulted us um, and got us in front of the right people as well. So we did um, actually raise um, seed funding from that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah we done, we kind of, yeah, I guess bootstrapped, worked, tried to manage it and then um, launched the company in 2020 and it, towards the end of 2020 kind of took that leap and started working on it um, full time, got some pre-seed funding and then a safe round. We, we completed through Plus 8 and then um, a couple of weeks after finishing Plus 8, we also completed our, enclosed our seed round. So that's breathed life into the model and has, um, it kept us going. Uh, congratulations. Uh, what have been some of the difficulties and hurdles and how have you overcome them to date? I think all the difficulties lie around being an absolutely brand new kind of service or, or product in the system that is 200 years old. So, um, you know, we are in a very heavy, heavily regulated um, industry being education uh, and for many, many years, you know, education has worked this way. So we are really kind of challenging some of the status quo there. And because of that, we don't fit um, fit in any place. So any of the challenges we've had, they're not insurmountable. It's just about changing culture, um, changing the ways of thinking and the ways, ways of doing things pretty much with the same amount of funding um, and doing all the right things, obviously, but um, policy just needs slight tweaks here and there for, for innovation to really happen. And we see that in schools. Uh, you know, many schools are trying to innovate and trying to do um, things differently, but they're within, they sit within the, structure, um, the structures of our, of our old school system. Mm. Yeah, being in such a highly regulated environment, when did you know that it was going to work? And we're still, <laughs> still waiting. It's all a little question mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When do we know? I think we've had yeah. the pleasure of um, seeing another model kind of work um, this way. So, um, there, yeah, it's another company that that was doing it in this, um, a sports context. So we certainly didn't rush into this. It was, as I say, four years of good yeah. good amount of research, and we tested last year as well. Um, but there is that level of risk, and that's what you do when you're um, an entrepreneur. You do. There comes that point where you've done everything as safe as possible and then you've got to just jump. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think as well, it, the reason it's so challenging from the regulatory perspective and setting up the model that way is because we do want to fit inside mm. the policy context of the existing system. So we talk about it is a systems change piece. It's a, a paradigm shift, but we're kind of um, one foot in the old system and drawing on some of the best features of that and one foot outside. So um, you know, potentially it would be easier just to completely separate and do something um, completely separate from the, the the mainstream system. But there are a lot of advantages from, from doing it that way. But um, yeah, I think a lot of the difficulties for me have been also around that just, you know, the the, the challenge of being a startup founder and managing the, the mental load and the work. And But it's been a fun, fun yeah. journey. Yep. Great. And uh, current level of highlights and successes that have kept you going along the way? Uh, wow. Yeah. 
there's been it's it really is a roller coaster, like lots of lows and lots of highs. So I think some of the highs for us, I mean, finishing up plus eight was fantastic. Um, you know, connecting with some other amazing founders through that program was really, really valuable. Um, and obviously then completing our seed run through that was a big high. And then I think it was just opening the doors and getting this off the ground. We had our first student, Calvin, like walk down the steps on, it was like day first one. <laughs> day one. And it was kind of like, it just made it really real. And the highs for me and, you know, um, it's, it's just every day getting that instant feedback from, you know, our students. And, um, but there's some really fantastic stories happening and it just reminds us like why we're, we're doing this. We're doing it to solve a problem that we was a massive problem in our lives, both from Nicole's perspective as a mother and mine as a teacher. And um, so that's really warms the cockles of your heart. It does. You go on. Definitely. We yeah. get, we've got uh, 25 highlights every single day. When mm. you see these young people who were either opting not to, to come back to the system because they were home educated or they were leaving the system, or we've got some really highly capable young people who could probably make it well in the system, but we're so underwhelmed. So we get to be around them every day. And Beck's right. I don't think that there's many services out there where you get that direct feedback within the mo like a moment we have to change and pivot our mm. product. And um, that's really, really fun. But I think a highlight also for me was definitely um, bringing business and education together. Um, and I think that that's kind of where we've got to lead to um, and being able to be in that plus eight um, on that plus eight journey was so incredible. I haven't learned like that ever. Um, I think that learning needs to be more like that. It's fully immersive. I often said that plus eight was very much like a mix between the shows, The Survivor, The Bachelor and The Apprentice. It was this full body experience, <laughs> um, but because of that, we were pushed right to the limit um, of our understanding and learnings and, and skills and knowledge. But um, yeah, absolutely came out victorious, and, and I loved that journey. Okay, I gave birth four days after Plus Eight Bootcamp. <laughs> by the way, wow. now yeah. I'm not saying Plus Eight Bootcamp contributed to that process. <laughs> However, you know it's something to consider in the future for any pregnant ladies <laughs> doing it. Yeah, and. From a competitor's perspective, um, because I think education is changing and, yeah. and I think the ultimate goal is that it does change more yeah, quickly yes. and there's lots of room for that. lots of models, but be good to understand, yeah, what the landscape looks like from a competitor's perspective. Yeah, you know, it's we, we see ourselves as a social impact initiative. We're a social enterprise. So to be honest, any competition is good because it's ultimately supporting young people. I think in terms of what we're trying to do, you know, it, it would be... I. My understanding is um, that we are the first um, academy of its kind w embedded within like a co-working space and where people are completing um, their final years of education completely embedded in the real world. Um, you know, there, there, there is stuff happening in schools, um, you know, particularly in the higher fee private schools as well, which is good to see. Um, so, you know, there, there are changes and stuff happening, but the the need for change is so great and the amount of students that are you're currently struggling in the system and being underserved by it is so so great that I think um, the more the merrier in terms Absolutely. of in terms of alternatives. We've got um, 1.5 million 15 to 19 year olds in Australia okay so no one system no one model no one product is going to suit all of those young people right so we know the value of education and it doesn't have to be one size fits all model so competition in our eyes if we if we need to be one of the companies that starts that change and leads that change we're going to do that because as you say change has to happen it's coming kids and families are demanding it and um, we're all um, voting with their feet and walking out of the system 
um, one in five leave school early. In Australia, yeah. In Australia. Yeah. So we obviously have to do something. Mm. So competition, I, I guess we're just in a, in a industry where competition is actually a really good thing. Mm. I think it's a really good thing and we can all leverage off each other. So the, for us, the more change there is, the more different options that actually gives weight to us as well and, and helps parents mm. kind of yeah. make that shift. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, yeah, in terms of, you know, where we draw our inspiration, because there's a lot of stuff happening in the tech sector and there's mm. a lot of um, solutions being created, particularly services that schools can um, bring in-house. Um, we saw ourselves on that kind of as almost a bit of a mix. You know, there's obviously traditional face-to-face school models. Um, and while we say homeschooling is a high growth um, market, kids do still want that cohort. They, they don't want to be in their bedrooms online learning. There's a lot of benefits to having flexibility in online learning, but they do want to have a face-to-face experience. So we took that piece from the traditional schools. We also looked at what was happening in terms of online qualifications and, and, and micro-credentials. And I've forgotten the stats now, but it's certainly predicted to grow to in $117 the, in the billion dollar market at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, by 2025, I think it was. So, you know, why can't we incorporate like micro-credentials and university pathway qualifications through... Um, third-party providers within our program. So, you know, we kind of drew on that and and took inspiration from that digital education piece as well. Um, And and then, you know, asking, well, how do we then make sure that this is a ticket to university um, for their education and employment in Australia? So, yeah, um, ensuring that what the students are doing with us is a valuable um, pathway onto their next step. I think the other key piece there as well in terms of competition is there's two things. One is we challenge the um, concept of who educators are. So there's so many amazing people who are not teachers that are brilliant educators out there. So um, if, as schools evolve and change, that's fine because we kind of pride ourselves on the fact that we're two business women running an education program and we will always do that after we hire people who have had a life outside of um, a school um, and have had other careers. Um, but also we, idea as it is today, is the very first part of idea. So we always want to be ahead of the game and be agile enough to be able to pivot. And if it means that we have to establish like a traditional-ish type of program mm-hmm. and then move um, move beyond that, then we're going to do that. So we're mm-hmm. wedded to the problem, not the solution necessarily. So I guess finally, before we move into some more uh, personal questions uh, mm-hmm. about your backgrounds and, and lifestyles, um, what are the plans for the business for the next few years? Well, we're we're really deep in it right now. You know, the plan is to make a product and a program that kids love um, and that kids are successful with. And so really refining the actual offering because for a long time it was just ideation and, you know, here's what we're going to do. But right now it's like tweaking and and refinement. So I think getting it right and ensuring that parents are happy, students are happy, will be the big focus of the next couple of years. Um, and and doing some slow scaling within you know, like the Perth CBD area and around and around Perth. And from there, who knows? I mean, our you know it would be great for any community in Australia or otherwise to be able to start a hub, um, for those young people that aren't fitting the system and to have everything they need, um provided by us, you know, to be able to do that. So that's that's kind of, I guess, the vision, isn't it? Mm. To, to be able to empower communities to run these alternatives anywhere. Yeah. And a shout out to the Startup West podcast sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth, Dinner Twist and TechOn.
Nicole and Rebecca, can we take you back through your careers from your own schooling? Uh, either of you, WA, born and bred, um, where have you come from? I think the answer is obvious for Beck. So, but I, How's I, it going, lads? <laughs> <laughs> to be sure. Um, yeah, no, I'm WA born and bred um, and, yeah, happy to, to be so. Um, um, enjoy travelling the world. But, um, so you want to know a bit about our um, past yet? Yeah, so WA born and bred, I think we talk about if idea was a thing when we were around, like would we go there? And, of course, um, I think that um, I was definitely a compliant creative. I remember landing in school and just going, oh, gosh, what's this alphabet thing? Like what's the context for that? Like even as a six-year-old, like why are we learning these things, right? Um, but, yeah, just progressed relatively well through um, through school, private education, um, always had a massive um, – uh, passion for helping people. So I did psych degree, run my own counselling um, practice for years alongside a pretty um, successful career in public education um, in policy um, through boards of study. And then, yeah, so I kind of had this portfolio career I've always done, had lots of um, plates spinning, um, not knowing why I'm, uh, I'm doing um, everything all at once. But now that idea has kind of um, being born, I can see, I, I totally understand now why I had to have all of those experiences, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Similar. I've got a, yeah, kind of portfolio career piece, I guess. So obviously born, actually, sorry, I was born in London, but I am Irish by trade. <laughs> by trade. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the trade is heavy drinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm swearing. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm being good on the podcast, but, um, yeah. So I raised in Galway on the West coast of Ireland. Yeah. Irish family. Um, and I, you know, we don't have a private sector really in Ireland in, in terms of education. I think like 1% of our schools are private schools. Um, so we, we do actually have a highly equitable system over there. You kind of go to school where you live. Um, so I just went to the local, it was a Catholic school, but they're, they're run by the state. It's a funny system there. But um, yeah, I, I enjoyed school. I wasn't like an exceptional student, but I was very pragmatic. I remember our principal coming in one time being like, oh, so are you guys working hard enough? And everyone's like, no, I could do more. I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay because I decided I wanted to do science. Um, I did a science degree um, in in university in Ireland. Um, and after that, I traveled for about two and a half years. So I did the old backpacker thing that many Irish do. Lived in New Zealand for a year and Australia on the East Coast for a year and did all the other kind of usual spots, Southeast Asia, America, Mexico. So I really, I really loved that. But it got to the point where I was like, okay, now I just need, I need a career because like science, obviously the pathway into science, although I loved it, it's like a long research pathway. So I was like, I'll just get maybe a teaching degree under the belt. So I did a year of postgrad in education back in Ireland. It was the time of the GFC. So they were like, so welcome to day one. Um, there's no jobs here, but sure, <laughs> Australia and London are lovely and Canada. <laughs> so I was like, and that fit with me because I loved Australia so much and um, so I moved back here in, in 2011. The reason I came to Perth was my friend, who is now my husband, was uh, like, hey, my friend's moving to WA, do you want to go? I was like, oh, sounds cool. So I did a master's here through Curtin and uh, yeah, was, t was teaching for, for about six years and then um, ended up at the Fogarty Foundation running their Kododojo WA program and subsequently Ed Futures, which was a fantastic experience. And that's ultimately how I met Nicole as well, doing some change initiatives through there. So yeah. Did, uh, did either of you show any sort of leadership entrepreneurial potential at school or were there any subjects that sort of brought that out at school or university? That's what I mean. I just think, how come I'm an entrepreneur? Like, why? how did that even happen? But that creativity, I was, I've always asked why. And it's always got me into trouble um, when at school if I would challenge a teacher or just need an explanation. So there was nothing about education that supported 
that innate talent that I had or those skills that I had, mm-hmm. nothing. If anything, I thought that you had to go down this, you know, traditional career path and I was academic so therefore I should have done a, you know, a traditional mm. career of law or psychology or something like that. Um, I had no idea until it was my own child, obviously, who just didn't fit. I'm like, oh, that's kind of like me. But, the, yeah, he really doesn't fit, you know, um, that I just got to see that I get that, I guess, that courage, that fighting spirit, that problem solving, all of those qualities, um, resilience, uh, hard work, they are so important, those skills. But, unfortunately, the system, they're just – low value in our current system, which is sad because I know that there's so many educators out there that see the value of that. So, yeah, that's certainly for me. I don't feel school ever told me I was an entrepreneur, but I clearly am, clearly Mm. am an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, Ireland has a really good annual competition called the Student Enterprise. um, And that was around when I was in school too. So, um, you know, the late nineties, I was out there hustling, selling Rebecca's raving recipes recipe book didn't didn't sell many but you know didn't win win. Brody yeah there wasn't quite a market for Rebecca's raving recipes back then but you know I gave it a go but that was about my only uh, we repeated it then that was in year eight and then you repeat it in year 10 and that time I was like I'm just not bothered doing this it was an extracurricular thing so I think I sold cookies and yeah I didn't do do very good on that but uh yeah I never entrepreneurship was not even in my you know vocab like I just I just never thought about it because I came from a family of like doctors and professors, a real academics, they struggle still like with this mm-hmm. concept of like, so what do you, what, what is it there that you do? What's but, the uh, career path? Yeah, what's the career path? Is that a safe option there you're doing? I'm like, well, not really, because no, I don't have an employer. But um, <laughs> I employ myself that, it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, I never, even, it really wasn't until plus eight, mm. where I was like, we are, we're entrepreneurs. Like this is, you know, for me, my interest, because I was doing a PhD was always around like, systems change and so the the theoretical underpinnings of what we were doing and it was only through that that I was like yeah wow we we're entrepreneurs and and I've I've seen I guess retrospectively saw elements of that in myself like I've always been a bit of a a character and a salesperson and going out and doing um I was big into horse riding and used to take tours and so very very much that kind of I think there was hints also for me within the system so I, I worked in bureaucracy for 16 17 years and I was always hitting my head against the ceiling. I was always the person putting my hand straight up for the, any strategic initiatives or yeah. um, any pilots, consultation, all those things. I like thrived off it, but that's the entrepreneurship within a really heavily regulated bureaucratic system. So I got so frustrated. And then I looked around and the uh, my colleagues who were also frustrated, if I look at that, all of their qualities, their entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial um, qualities. So mm-hmm. I see the value within current systems to be able to just support those creative thinkers within your organization. So flexing back to the WA startup community, um, based on your obviously extensive education and work experiences you've had to date, what advice would you give to the Perth startup scene today? Um, definitely connect, get out there and connect. Start, come to Space Cube one day and just hang out because like yeah. the, it's a very generous community and um, really felt um, safe and seen and like um, a lot of people have given us so much time. So definitely just get out there and connect and start sharing your idea um, and getting feedback on it. I think that would be my main thing is there's so many cool communities and nice people. Um, so just get out there and share and connect. I think it's also just stay the course. Just startups, it's a long journey and you need to kind of know that and you will fall down over and over and over again, but you just got to keep getting up and listen though. So if you need to pivot, pivot, be coachable, like listen to the advice of people that have gone before you. But just keep going. Sometimes that's the only difference between a successful startup 
and some and one that fails is that you just have that tenacity and that fighting spirit just to keep going over those hurdles. So yeah, I think don't give up. And so you've raised some funds. So through that process, how did you find that process in WA? Because that's one of the key things that you hear is there isn't money available in West Australia. So it'd be good to understand, yeah, from you guys about your experience and, and how you think it's evolving. Yeah, I mean, I we've only done it once, so I do, we can't compare yeah. it. You know, I, I actually was, had quite a good journey I think, yeah. through it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did culminate. We closed our end and, and that night I like cried and Nicole bought me flowers the next day because yeah. <laughs> it was stressful. But stressful. we... we as I said, we, we got out there, we shared our idea. We always had pod- positive feedback. Initially, it was the Perth Angels gave us some great feedback and advice and um, and Space Cubed coached us through some some conversations there too. And, um, you know, we, yeah, I, I think it was a relatively positive experience because actually we, our first kind of serious pitch, we did get an offer um, through that. Um, and then... We yeah. don't fit the story of you do a hundred pitches before you get your first offer. We went straight to the first <laughs> one. We're like, oh, okay, yeah, but, um, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. And and then again, because obviously having had the experience in plus eight, um, investors knew us and knew our story. Yeah. And so from the finish end of plus eight to opening our seed round, I think we closed within two weeks and had raised everything then because. Um, we already, people knew our story, they knew the process. And then it was just a case of going through that due diligence process and lawyers and it was happening over Christmas and uh, this yeah. kind of thing. So it was, a, it took us a few months to close, but it was, it There's was no, relative. no education for it either. Like you literally are learning as you're going. So, and doing accelerators is fabulous, but still, even so you just don't know what you don't know mm. until you're in it. And then I think that if there was some way that you could be given like the, um, raising for dummies kind of manual and it's like just make sure you talk to these five people from the beginning because we we learned we should have speak, spoken to certain people at different times and we just didn't know that we we're a startup we had no idea so yeah I think that there's no education for it that's what I should have stolen sold instead of recipe books in yeah. investment raising for dummies yeah, <laughs> yeah raising yeah. for dummies we'll do it he's, he's writing it um perhaps the last question before we move to our rapid quick fire round Uh-oh. um uh, who do you admire as a startup in WA, uh, a company or a leader uh, in WA or anywhere really? Hmm. I really like um, Space to Co. I love their model. There, we we kind of partner with them. That idea of hacking and utilizing under these spaces, it's you know there's a, a simplicity to it, and just their whole platform and everything. And I, we've met the guys, and um, Jeremy in particular provided some good advice to us. I really like what they're doing, and I just like them as they're nice people too. Well, I mean, obviously all of the Just, Plus A crew. Yeah, all the yeah, because there's really lovely founders with really, really great ideas. I mean, the cohort, um, a company in our cohort, Snacker, is just a kick-ass um, product. And um, I love that um, in terms of how savvy they were in seeing that gap in the market and being able to quickly, rapidly create a product out of that. Um, but the I, I also admire the people at Hey Lady and what they're doing and the way that they've really ex- been really conscious um, founders as well. Like I just really, whenever I see them, I just admire, um, their groundedness, um, as a humble, their yeah, humble approach to things as well as having this really amazing company. Right. So yeah, let's do the rapid fire, quick round, quick rapid fire round. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, short answers to these questions. Uh, but the first one is, uh, what's the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? Resilience. Resilience. <laughs> Just keep on keeping on. Yeah, keep going. Uh, if you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, 
what would you wish into being or even wish away? A, a little pool of like small funding f- um, pieces for, for startups that are just at that very early stage mm. and they just need like a 10K or a 15K, mm. a little pool of funding for good ideas that just need that initial start, you reckon? Particularly women founders. Yeah, definitely. Yep. How can anyone listening help you guys? Get the word out there. Just, um, I think that's it, isn't it? Word of mouth is definitely going to be our, um, yeah, our avenue for getting trust from parents and young people. So I, I think spread the word. Um, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, send us your firstborns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then their friends. Please. And their friends. Yeah. <laughs> getting yeah. the word out is, is key. Yeah. Word of mouth has been great for us. And just advocacy. Uh, we're doing something different and it can cause anxiety sometimes in traditional systems. So pacifying um, yeah. people that might be nervous about it, that would be helpful too. So you've both had amazing education and careers up to now. Um, part of that, though, is we're all personable people. We all have our personal lives. So for the both of you, what do you do to get away from it all, relax and refresh? Oh, my goodness. We don't. But, okay, I'll say paddleboard. I love going um, to the beach and paddleboarding. And Yeah, I mean, I have a one-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, so, yeah, unfortunately I don't get much downtime, I guess, going for walks. <laughs> we have no lives. Yeah, like genuinely no lives at the minute, which, but it's just, you know, we're in the trenches now. Having young kids doesn't help, but, um, you know, it's it's busy. We'll, well, it, we'll aspire to do something and next time we're we'll be more we'll good answer. next time. We'll yeah. have a, a whole range of hobbies. Yeah. Knitting, crochet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we drink wine. We drink, we drink a wine. Oh, yeah. Come yeah. every Friday once the kids leave. It is. It can be. We've made okay. it into one. Good. Yeah. The Learning talking the that wine. happens around it, it's, it's equivalent to sitting around a campfire, Brody, but it's just a bottle of wine. So. <laughs> we're also a bit of a comedy act sometimes, aren't we? So that can be a hobby. Yeah, yeah. Just going through our routines. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. No, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, thanks so much uh, to both of you, Nicole and Rebecca. Um, yeah, following your journey over the last sort of three or four years now to see where it's come from and where it's going next. And I think specifically seeing, you know, there's a whole bunch of young people that are now getting these <laughs> educations, which otherwise wouldn't have has been really amazing. So, yeah, really appreciate you taking your time to come and talk to us today and share your story. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, ladies. Also, thanks to our sponsors. Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth, Dinner Twist and TechOn. We recorded this podcast at Rift Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favourite podcast platform so our latest episodes appear in your feed. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you.